iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hello, this is the Game Football Podcast from The Times. Today, money talks in the Champions League. Have we been sleepwalking towards European Super League all along? Manchester City stand 12 games away from footballing history. How possible is the quadruple? UEFA disappoint once again in the fight against racism in the game. And what are the most cynical, craziest, strangest red cards you've ever seen? All that and more on the next hour of the game. To help me through it all, Gregor Robertson, Tom Roddy and Jonathan Northcroft. How are you doing, guys? Very well, you? Okay. I'm very well. Nice to hear from you. Been been enjoying the Champions League football, obviously. We've had some cracking games. Um, the, the, the competition was really, I think, back to its best in terms of drama and excitement this year as well. So it, it was good to see. And of course, two legs, which is what you want. That's been a while as well. The semi-final lineup complete. The Champions League... We'll have two English sides in the final four, flying the flag. Chelsea coming past Porto 3-1 on aggregate and Manchester City who beat Borussia Dortmund 4-3 on aggregate. Of course, Liverpool were knocked out. They lost 3-1 to Real Madrid overall. And Paris Saint-Germain knocked out the holders on away goals in the shape of Bayern Munich after a three-all aggregate draw. So it means the semi-finals to be played on the 27th and 28th of April. See Real Madrid host Chelsea in the first leg and Manchester to City visit Paris Saint-Germain. Before we get to the ins and outs of the football itself, the semi-final lineup I think has left some football fans feeling a little bit empty. The old money of the likes of Juventus, Bayern Munich, Manchester United, AC Milan, even Barcelona and Liverpool have to an extent faltered and the nouveau riche, let's call them that, have excelled this year. Uh, Jonathan, with, with less strict financial controls on the way, do you think this is the new face of the Champions League? The, these clubs being there every year. I certainly think that that, that Manchester City are here to stay. Um, that, that, that something very lasting has been built there. Um, and you know, maybe ten years ago we'd have asked the same question about Chelsea, and now we're we're used to seeing um, Chelsea up there. It's, it's not just about having money; it's about using money wisely, using it well, investing it well. And, and these are clubs that. I've got untold riches, but but have actually used it cleverly to invest in something. And yeah, I do think we will, I, I, you know, we've talked about European Super Leagues and how the Champions League is kind of naturally evolving in that direction um, with the execs of certain clubs trying to push UEFA even further to, to sort of rig things that way. Um, yeah, the, I think the future is going to be a familiar bunch of clubs and there's going to be a point where we stop talking about Manchester City as something new and talk about them as the establishment. You know, they will be the establishment one day because I've got no doubt they're not going to go away. The, the one I always look at, I always look at PSG and maybe it's just ignorance looking at it from outside and not, not being part of the French media and understanding the club well enough. Something always, something seems to me that it's built more on sand and more on star players and, and something transitory. But that might, as I say, that might be my lack of understanding. I'm quite willing to accept that. But when I look at Manchester City, I see investment in the whole club that's kind of grindingly efficient and grindingly good use of money that means that, that they're, here, they're here for a long time. We'll see, man. Manchester City, that was only the second Champions League semi-final. There'll be a lot more. Tom, state-backed clubs is something that we've seen in football more and more. And it might be eventually, I think, the thing that um, that works against the Champions League in many ways, in that the gap is becoming so big that for, for many, domestic football is going to be more than just the bread and butter. It's going to be the only thing really worth watching. And, and look, for, for the purists, for people who are traditionalists, you know, seeing that level of investment into a football club maybe take something out of the joy of sport as well. 
Perhaps, yeah, but I mean, watching that Bayern Munich PSG, the two legs over the, over the last week or so, I wasn't really thinking in that way. I didn't really think <laughs> about, you know, uh, I wasn't thinking about how the money got there. I wasn't thinking how it was invested or why it was invested, uh, any of that. I was thinking wow, this is a great game and what a privilege it is to watch it and how hard it was to to try and watch the Chelsea-Porto game at the same time. Um, <laughs> I, I I think one, one actually one point on that with the idea of this the, the European Super League, I saw a lot of comments saying, you know, how much I'd love to watch this game every week. I wouldn't, you know, I'd love, uh, there's the idea of it, but it's like having Christmas every week. Um, I, it wouldn't be so special having it once a year, having having it once every two years. A, a game like that, it makes it more special. It makes you appreciate it that much, that that touch more. Um, and it's funny as well looking at the the final four uh, and thinking that Real Madrid. Just going back to your previous question, Hugh, thinking Real Madrid quite possibly the side that's seen as probably maybe the weak link thinking of the the past decade of Champions League football um and there's also you know if, if RB Leipzig were there this the, these four teams could be the, the most despised kind of in in, in <laughs> European football at the moment for that very sort of reason um so so yeah I mean I I just in uh, I just enjoyed it really um and I think also there's it's probably a personal point of view but with with Pochettino going to PSG there was a there was a willingness to to kind of see them succeed the other thing about you know this the idea of do we want to see these games more often was that the away goals rule was part of what made it so thrilling I know some people still have you know, people have different opinions about this, but at no point were you more than one goal away from these, from that, particularly that PSG Bayern game, from it sw- swinging completely into the other team's favour. So it was, that was part of what made it so entertaining. The jeopardy that was there all along. There were very fine, fine lines have decided these ga- these these games. I know you're talking about the rise of PSG and Man City and you know state-backed football clubs, but and yes, they have progressed, but. It was on very, very fine margins, and you know PSG have still not won it. They're looking like they're in with a shout this year, but it's hard to call. And it's the same with City. City until they until they were gifted a penalty, they were probing, but they weren't they weren't finding a way through. So it was still very fine lines deciding deciding all these games really, apart from Chelsea Porto. It's not a new thing as well. Real Madrid are pretty much the original state backed football club. You know, not in not in the same way in terms of their ownership group, but they've. They've always been helped out, shall we say, by the Spanish government et al. Um, okay, let's talk about the football then. I, I, I can come back to this discussion, I think, later on in the competition, particularly if Manchester City win it. Um, let's talk about the games, Gregor. Liverpool, just quickly on them, before we talk about the sides that went through, they had chances. They had the chances to beat Real Madrid last night. Um they're out, of course, and, and after that first leg, it was almost inevitable, and barring something particularly special. Seven games left in their season now, all Premier League matches. Getting knocked out of the Champions League, is that almost a bit of a weight off their shoulders that they can go into their, their final stretch knowing if they do play well and form has been coming back, Champions League football will come back to the club for next season? They may come to feel that way, but at the same time, there's, you know... We're in the final stretch of the season, and they have they have nothing else to play. Silverware to play for, which in a, a club in the health of Liverpool in recent seasons is is fairly chastening, really. Um, yeah, they had they had they had so many chances last night, particularly obviously Salah's right right at the start. That could have transformed the the way the game uh, the the way the game unfurled from that point. But I still never, you know, there was bursts of the the kind of energy and. And the pressing that we've we've come to know of from Liverpool, but it still wasn't really the same Liverpool way, you know, not peak Liverpool. And Real Madrid ultimately were in were in control a lot for large swathes of the game. So yes, they'll look forward now, Liverpool, and that's not it's not an easy run. And you've got Leeds and then Manchester United coming up soon, um, and then it eases off a little bit. You've got we've got West Brom, Burnley, and Palace in the last three games. So you know, I think. These next few weeks are actually going to be the more likely to be the ones that decide Liverpool's fate in terms of the Champions League. And as I said on Monday, just looking at it, it's very hard to call, but <laughs> I just feel that probably 
after all these, you know, these clubs that have had brilliant seasons, Leicester and West Ham, probably just like it does in the Champions League, the money will 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 uh, tell in the end, and we'll see the same four clubs we're used to seeing in the top four. I'm looking forward to the running. It should be very, very good to watch. I wonder what part Liverpool will play in it because that defence, you know, it's it's been better, but will it be at the level? You know, some of those final few games still to me look difficult because they haven't sorted out how they want to play with those weaknesses at the back. Got a clean sheet against Real Madrid at home, credit to them, but I think if they'd have come out, tried to score more, been a little bit more expansive, it would have cost them at the other end as well. Real Madrid didn't really have to ever put their foot down in terms of trying to win another goal. Um, Let's talk about Manchester City next. Liverpool are out. Let's talk about the teams that went through. They've got 12 games left in their season to win a quadruple. They've got Spurs in the EFL Cup final coming up. Chelsea in the FA Cup semi-final this weekend. Of course, we've mentioned PSG in the Champions League semis and the Premier League all but wrapped up already. Jonathan, this would be a tremendous effort, despite the money that's been spent. Um... Are they good enough, Manchester City, at this point on form in the season? Do you look at them and think they're going to win everything? Oh, they're good enough. Look, they can they they can do it. Um, do I think they will do it? I, I, I still have a two re, the two things give me a, a reason for doubt. I suppose one is just that I know that Guardiola did it with Barcelona. I think he won six trophies in a year, and Bayern Munich did it. Just this last year, actually, they, until they got knocked, knocked out last night, they were they held six trophies. So, of course, it can be done, um, but it hasn't been done in English football because it's, I, I guess, just it's been harder to win the English domestic competitions at the same time as a as a successful Champions League campaign. So, history tells you it's still it's still tricky, um, and you remember how extraordinary the circumstances of Manchester United getting that treble were, you know, 99, that's what it takes. But the team, they're capable of it. You know, they they, they play such um, sort of unchanging dominant football that it doesn't matter who the, the opponents are. Guardiola's got those patterns of play. He's got that, 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 that um, the sort of aut- almost automated um way of, of, of his players playing where they know the passing patterns, they know each other's movement. It's so well coached and drilled that um, it almost it's almost less about the individual challenges than about pulling the whole thing off. That there, there is a football reason for me doubting, having a, a question mark in my mind. And it's just, no matter how good, despite how good they were against Dortmund last night at times, they did struggle to score goals. As Gregor said, they were gifted a penalty and it took a superb strike by Foden um, to give them the second goal, which came from a set piece, actually. And it made, it made me think about the game against Leicester I saw recently, the King Power, where City were out of this world. They were absolutely dominant. Leicester played okay, and, and they just couldn't get close to them. But it was only 2-0, and um, Leicester had opportunities to score on the break because City lacked that striker, because they're not quite turning dominance into the fours and the five nils in the way that we've seen previous Guardiola teams do. So in football terms, if they do get found out, it may be in a game like Saturday's that I'm going to, the the, the Chelsea City FA Cup game. It may be a Champions League semi-final, a tight game where that that lack, decided by a single goal, where that lack of cutting edge just hurts them. Tom, do you think we learnt more about City's weaknesses during their tie against Borussia Dortmund than than we did about their strengths? You know, a, a a long floated ball, you know, over the the top, you know, causing confusion. I think Leeds United showed in many ways last weekend as well, you know, this idea that sort of City are on you, they press you, that they've got the ball, but as soon as you win it, you smash it long and you've got a striker up there who's putting themselves about, um, then, then you might get some joy. And it seems like a really uncomplicated way to get success against a team that's as good as Manchester City. Yeah, quite possibly. Um, not everyone's got a striker like Erling Haaland, though, is the uh, is the only thing. But um, I, I, I think that it's, you know, this... I don't think it is 12 games for them to win the quadruple. I think it's probably only six, isn't it, really? Because the, the league title is wrapped up. You've got t- the two semi-finals of the Champions League and the final, the, the, the semi-final this weekend and the final of the FA Cup. Um, then, so, so I think they're really six games away from winning the quadruple, which is, which is incredible. Um, 
it really is incredible and uh, and but it what happens if they only win win the premier league now because that's the thing with football as well isn't it you get to the business end you're so close to it and then and then it all falls kind of falls apart does just winning the premier league become a a a, a bit of a deflated end to the season um I, I think I think they have enough to do it. I completely agree with Johnny. I think they have enough to do it. Definitely, um, whether they will, I'm not so sure. I think also with the the Champions League, the semi final. I think I think they will have gone into that game believing that they they are the favourites, and their biggest test will be the the semi final when they come up against the likes of Neymar and Mbappe and a real a team who have been a contender for quite a few years I think that's when when they they actually maybe question themselves when there's that possibility to question themselves is when we'll actually see how they actually handle that my concern about them is the amount of changes that Pep Guardiola continues to make in that level of rotation. Five changes, I think it was. Then, then seven changes in the last couple of games going into that um, that second match against Borussia Dortmund, and he's been doing it for quite a while now. In fact, since it seemed like they were going to be healthy winners in the Premier League, you know, he's regularly made changes, and it's to the point that it, I think it's disrupted their rhythm. They were metronomic for a period of time. Ilkay Gundogan, of course, was was looking like he was going to be the player of the season. That didn't fizzle out. Kevin De Bruyne just came back from injury. And, and Pep Guardiola decided to shift the Premier League's informed player back to where he was playing before and not scoring all those goals and getting all of those assists. Um, you've got to try and integrate De Bruyne. I'm not going to criticise him for that. But Gabriel Jesus came back from injury at that time. Sergio Aguero came back from injury at that time. He tried to play Aguero. That doesn't seem like it's going to work. He's in and out, Jesus. Sterling is currently in and out. Mares seems to get the nod in the bigger games, but then goes out of the team as well. Foden comes in and out. Look, clearly exceptional players there, but if you're going to go in these next six games, you have to peak at the right time. All sports, not just football. And that means you've got to know what your best team is and they've got to be at the races. And if anything is going to stop them this season, it's going to be Pep changing that team. I'm prepared to stick my neck out on that one. <laughs> but you clearly say that he needs to. I mean, the number of games they've got and you've got to utilise this he, he, he squad needs to. He, he needs to, but there, I think there is a difference between making three changes a game and making seven changes a game. Perhaps, but as Tom said, the, the the league's the league's wrapped up, so that's the game where he's gonna he's gonna rest players and they've won the league. I I can't see Tottenham. I'd be very surprised personally in this to see this current Tottenham team give them much much many issues in the in the league cup. But I just Chelsea are in in good shape and they're playing with a lot of kind of control. That could go either way that game definitely. And PSG, as you said, City's biggest weakness to Guardiola's teams essentially has been a team who can play well in the counter. And we've just seen PSG do that to Bayern Munich and look absolutely ridiculously threatening all the time. So it'll be interesting to see how Pep even sets up in that game with in the knowledge of that. You know, safe in the knowledge. Are we still just going to impose our game, try and dominate play, and and trust our centre backs to be able to deal with them? Or are we going to play slightly differently? Uh, that. That's going to be very interesting to see. So, I don't think I still think it would be remarkable if they do it because football just always throws up something. It could be a bit of bad luck. It could be a nonsense VAR decision, like we saw <laughs> them uh, being getting the good fortune of against Dortmund. Uh, or sorry, it's not a VAR decision. Actually, it was a refereeing decision, but VAR couldn't step in. Um, Bellingham's goal. I'm talking about. You know, it could be something like that. It could the football always throws something up? And I think for them to do it do it in all four competitions would be truly remarkable. If they do it, Gregor, have they completed football? Can we pack it all up, stick it in the attic? It's done. <laughs> uh, I know that all those conversations will come out. If you see like another 7-0 victory in a, in a cup final or something, then yes, I think that, that will be the narrative, undoubtedly. <laughs> but would we pack up football? No, I think we'd really have to, you would have to applaud, applaud them for despite all of the you know, the knowledge about their funding and the amount of money they've spent on players and how much their squad costs and everything. It's still a, th a thrilling team to watch and Pep Guardiola is a genius and it would be an extraordinary achievement. I don't think you, you pack up football because history tells us, we you know, with the Liverpool team of, um, of last year, with the City team of the year before that, we got to the end of the Premier League season 
and said about both those teams that they could dominate for a decade. And they didn't at all. It it it's, it, it fell off. Um, and and I think the same would would happen in, in this situation. I, I don't think City would dominate for for years to come. I think they'll be up there. I'm not saying that. I think they'll be that established team. But they're not going. I don't think they do it. They carry on doing it in the same way for years to come. So it's definitely not a case of packing up and going home. I would fear for football if the traditional clubs were making the most of their resources and City were still winning. But that's not the case at the moment. You know, we're, we're in an era where a number of the traditional clubs, shall we call them, are using the money badly, making bad decisions in terms of coaches or, or you know, infrastructure at clubs, giving silly contracts to people. Um, and... I, yeah, I've got, look, I've got reserve that we could have, have a whole long talk about state football and, and human rights in Abu Dhabi. But to park that, as I said earlier, I see in City, regardless of where the money comes from, a club that has made excellent decisions, appointed maybe the best coach in football, incredibly you know thought out recruitment. If you look at how close in, in age profile, in, in playing profile, a lot of the signings are over, over a number of years, how few of them actually go wrong. The investment in 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 youth and, and facilities. If Manchester United or Real Madrid or or Juventus or whoever you want to say Arsenal, if they were using the money as wisely as City used theirs, and City were still winning, then okay, worry about football. But I think there's a lot of improvement for those traditional clubs to make, and that that, that that's they should be looking at themselves in terms of catching up instead of crying about how much money City have got. There was a tweet, a momentary tweet, although it did manage to rack up thousands and thousands of likes and shares from the Manchester City player Phil Foden after the game. It was very quickly deleted. It must have come from his social media team. He said at Kylian Mbappe, are you ready? Looking ahead to that semi-final and a picture of him scoring his goal last night and Gary Neville was on Twitter afterwards, the former Manchester United uh, defender, of course, and he made some comments about players. He basically says, I mentioned on here a few weeks ago, players having their accounts run by social media companies. Lads, run your own accounts. Your independent thought and authenticity is at stake. It's your voice, not anyone else's. Go and attack the hell out of it. Good morning, by the way. Jonathan, has he got a point in terms of players, personality and perception? He, he does. Um, I remember Troy Deeney saying this to me three or four years ago and he was laughing at um, just all those sort of uh, bland messages that you get from from players, you know. We go again. Yeah, we go again. <laughs> the fans were great tonight, you know, and the, the, team's, the team's just been dreadful. They've been beaten 5-1, but it's all, you know, it's all that that that's sort of, no, and he was just like you know how can lads look at themselves in the mirror and, and and have that kind of bland nonsense coming out um under their names and that's that's Neville's point it's your it's your personality it's your image it's your chance to put yourself forward I mean look we players do need help Marcus Rashford's a case where his social media has been unbelievably good um as part of his the campaigning that he's done and he has had help from from a very um sort of you know, top of the range um, communications agency to, to help him with that. But I, you'd like to think that, that, that players will, will, will understand that they, they do need to vet everything or they need to, they need, they need it to reflect them. I mean, I think of Gareth Bale this, this year when Mourinho called him out, didn't he? When he, he tweeted good training session today and Josie went mad in his press conference. I mean, he had an awful training session. What's he talking about? You know, and it was just an automated message that his team had put out. Um, yeah, social media is there for people to be themselves, and 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 it's you know maybe not everyone's as for uh, Gary Neville's famous for his attention to detail and every you know gets up at five in the morning and is on everything. Maybe not everybody's as keen as Gary Neville to be on it, but there are lessons to be learned for players. That's the thing. Yeah, I think there are some people who perhaps you know the their natural instinct is not to be doing to be sending out tweets after a game, but they'll have advisors who say, look. You need to have a presence of social media because you get more followers, you'll make more money from this, that, and the other. So, you know, there's a reason why they have these people in these teams. I look at someone like Declan Rice, who clearly loves being on social yeah. media and he, you see his personality shining through on it. But that's just who Declan Rice is. Phil Foden perhaps isn't like that. So, 
you can see you can see why these why these players have people doing it for them nowadays because they, their natural inclination is not to put cringeworthy things on social media after a game <laughs> or to to take the mickey out of teammates on social media and things like that. So I, I can see I can see why it happens, but um, I don't know. It's still slightly. Uh, it's not a great look when you have to kind of rebuke your own advisors for a tweet that's supposed to be on your personal account. <laughs> yeah, I, I think one of the things that maybe as well think footballers, if they are out there with their personal personalities after a game on social media, we know the abuse that they already get and they can't win. You know, there's always going to be someone who says, what are you so happy about? You know, you played rubbish, even though the team won one nil or you know, vice versa. If the team loses, you put a message out and everyone slams you. You know, there there is a part of, we want players to have personalities. We want them to be on social media. And we've spoken about it before. So there's no, read to go, no reason to go into it once again, but they aren't protected from the negative things. And so for some of them, I think it's a space that they, they don't want to be in and they'll happily pay a company to put some stuff out for them so they don't have to see some of the, the, the interactions that are on there. Um, Tom, what do you think about all of it? I think that I agree in that it is a space and an opportunity to be a personality, to be a character. And we've seen it uh, with with quite a lot of players. As Gregor said, probably the name that springs to mind is, is Declan Rice. But at the same time, the problem is these players are worth so much to more people than just individually themselves. They are now brands and 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 companies and and that is the that is the voice for them that is where the message comes from um and so it has to be people this is this this makes this sort of um i don't like this but it has to be carefully these people believe it has to be carefully orchestrated what is said how it comes out and how it is is projected um and the problem is we see we see occasionally where those there's miscommunication even there i mean do you remember a, a couple of weeks ago joe hart issuing an apology for his social media team um, posting the, the the wrong result uh, when Tottenham had been beaten three nil. Um, I mean, l- like you said, Hugh, we've we've spoken about this before, but I, I just see social media as something where players, if they if they don't want to do it, and you do hear a lot of people talk about players being impacted so much by the negative comments on social media. If they don't want to do it, then then don't do it. It's just, it's, for me, it's not worth the hassle. And as we talk as well, another social media story growing. Tottenham Hotspur have announced Dulux Paint as their new official paint supplier. And whoever the admin is for Dulux has not got the memo because someone said to them, we can store the tins of paint in the trophy room as we don't seem to put anything else in there. They've replied, you know this, <laughs> with a picture of an empty trophy cabinet. Um, to another tweet as well, someone says, why don't we paint their dusty trophy cabinet? They've replied, don't be silly. Surfaces need to be dust-free before painting as well. And someone put, as they put a picture of their traditional mascot, their fluffy dog, Dulux, someone said, does the dog play centre-back? And the admin has replied, our dog might do a better job to that person as well. So clearly the Dulux admin <laughs> has, has not got the memo or Gunnosaurus is working in his new job after being furloughed by Arsenal as the admin for Dulux Paint. One of those two things. Um, I wonder if they'll be getting a good review from the uh, Tottenham Hotspur admin a little bit later on. Uh, you can give us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast from. Also, make sure you're subscribed. You can get a digital subscription to The Times and The Sunday Times right now across all of your devices. If you sign up today, you'll get one month free. Just go online, search thetimes.co.uk forward slash the game to get started. iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. 
Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Chelsea and their manager Thomas Tuchel can look forward to a mouth-watering tie against Real Madrid in the Champions League semi-finals. It's the first time in seven years that Chelsea have reached the final four. They came past Porto 2-1 on aggregate. Tuchel says he wants his side to stay brave and adventurous. Now, that is not exactly how you describe their football right now, is it, Tom? Brave and adventurous. No, not quite. I mean, the, mo- the most sort of adventurous we've we've seen um may appear to have been saturday against crystal palace but even then the only reason that they really scored the four goals in that game was because palace was so poor um truth be told that was that was the reason but i think they've missed i i still have enjoyed watching them play um i think it's in, it's interesting to watch and 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 their gregor touched on it earlier hit the nail on the head really that they they control games you you feel that thomas tuchel he talks about before games how they're going to play out um, and and they do more often than not. Maybe not West Bromwich Albion, but most of them tend to as well. Um, I I think the key for for Chelsea is is the striker position because uh, everywhere else they are they have strength in depth and real uh, real sort of the the top of the pile in terms of quality. Um, but the striker position is is one where I think Tuchel will already be looking towards the summer and bringing in a, bringing in a replacement. He clearly isn't taken by Tammy Abraham. He has tried to play Kai Havertz as this false nine, which which sometimes seems to be working. Um, but he made the point the other day that he's not. He's not going to ever be the Diego Costa. He's not going to be a fighter. And it's far too early to kind of cast judgment on how Kai Havertz is going to be, what what kind of a player Kai Havertz is going to be at Chelsea and how he's going to be remembered. He's clearly got the talent, but where whether he kind of has the 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 drive to actually make it um there will will probably be seen over the next the next year this next season coming um and depending on if they do bring in a striker in the summer then where does he fit into that team i'm i'm not so sure and then you've got timo werner who probably works best off the left and i think he will come good even i think he will come good i think next year we'll see him scoring lots and lots of goals the way we expected to this year once he's settled in um but i think that's what they're missing is a striker gregor what do you think about chelsea's chances in the champions leagues and very good sides left and the way that they play football as well, because there is a part of me that believes you need a little bit more firepower, as Tom's pointed out, to win a competition like this. Yeah, um, but I still I come back to if you're getting clean sheets in, in so many so many of your games, then you've always got a chance. And clearly they're coming up against a superior opponent. It's going to be interesting because this Real Madrid are kind of, and as I said earlier, they're also against Liverpool. They, they exuded control and you know the experience kind of shone through as well from from them despite all the all the churn and there's been well I think three of the back four probably wouldn't be in the first choice back four they still looked very well coached and organized and solid and yes Liverpool created some chances but they were always there's always like a leg out stuck out in front of them there's always a block made there was always there was always someone there always someone within within a, a yard or two ready to to kind of snuff it out um and so these are, you know, two teams who are going to want to try and kind of, as I say, to to 
to say the risk averse is not true. It's just that they want to dominate the dominate the ball and kind of construct attacks. So I think it could be quite a cagey affair actually. Um, but Real Madrid's particularly in the midfield again. It's just they're just a joy to watch and um, you know Cruz on the ball and Modric how how crafty he is and how good he is in little tight spaces and Casemiro's control of the game essentially in that second leg against Liverpool was outstanding. So. I think it could be quite a close, a close uh, thought affair, quite, quite cagey. Um, not like PSG, PSG Bayern. Not like probably quite a lot of the quarterfinals, um, but a little bit. You know, two teams that are going to try and kind of suss each, each other out, and it might not be until until the kind of final throws of the second leg where you you really see them both open up. Johnny, do you think Thomas Tuchel does need to throw caution to the wind slightly? You know, maybe it's going to be at key points. You know, he might be down a goal and need to do something a little bit different. Does that mean that he, at some point, needs to experiment with a different mode of playing? Because it, it does feel safe at times. It does. I mean, perhaps without a striker, though, without a real, you know, number nine that he trusts, may, maybe this way is his best chance of, of hanging in there and trying to, um, you know, get the clean sheet, control the game and, 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 and steal a victory. And it is actually how Chelsea won the Champions League before under Di Matteo. I mean... I think is it, him as I think him as a coach is he's interesting because until Chelsea, I don't think he's been known for defensive football. His Dortmund team scored a lot of goals; they outscored Bayern Munich on on, on one of their seasons, and PSG obviously scored a lot of goals. Um, and I, I think how he's playing with Chelsea is more a response to what he feels he's inherited in terms of um, the playing resources and that when he does get a striker, we will see a, 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 we might even see a change of formation and a more open style. When, when he talks about being brave and, and uh, whatever the quote was, I'm not quite sure. I, I mean, I'm really not sure what he's talking about, but he is a man that sees details in the game and perhaps he's talking about some detail of emphasis that, that, that we're not seeing. It, to me, it looks like Louis van Gaal football at the moment. It looks very based on positioning and pit, covering the pitch properly and never being out of shape. But it can be success. Of course, it can be successful in the Champions League. Often it is what wins it. And and as Greg was saying, it's going to be a real chess match against Real Madrid, who've also adopted a similar style, probably because of their changing resources too. Chelsea have reached eight Champions League semi-finals now since the tournament uh, became the Champions League, what, 92, I think it was. Um, that's more than any other English club, Johnny. So so are they now the pride of English football? That's a startling um, figure that they've been in more semi-finals, but I, su- I suppose they have. I mean, they've lost a lot of semi-finals, let's face it. Um, are they the pride of English football? <laughs> I, 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 I don't know. I think I might just There's leave. There's no such thing there. anymore. Hang on. <laughs> That's right. But, yeah, this is it. It I used mean, to be your lucky, yeah. but it's not anymore. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. No, then it was Leicester, and I don't know who it is now. I mean, <laughs> I, I, this, Chelsea have become the establishment, I think. As, as, as I was saying earlier, and there's a lot. There is a lot of history for them now in the Champions League. You think you know Liverpool Chelsea semi would have had us all thinking back to the the Mourinho and Benitez era, but you know they are a very experienced team in this competition, and as Real Madrid are proving, and as Bayern Munich proved last year, and and, and as Liverpool have proved before, experience in the Champions League counts for so much. And and going back to City, that will be that's another question mark that they've just never been in a final before. So how do they manage it? Ch- Chelsea are now that. That, that team that knows their way around and has a belief because they've done it before that they can win it. And have a, a ruthless edge who are willing to chop a change a manager in the middle of the season because they think that it's going to give them a better chance of progressing, particularly in the Champions League. And um, Mr. Abramovich has been proven right. He has, absolutely. And again, exactly. And an 18-month deal for Thomas Tuchel means that, um, you know, that pressure on him to deliver, he says the time is now no need to think about four or five years from now. So uh, lots of pressure on Chelsea, not just from the outside, but from within as well. And plenty more for them to look forward to this week and this season, as well as some of the other clubs in the Premier League. Um, So much for us to look forward to in European competition as well. We will cover that all. Could be an all-English final in both the Europa League and the Champions League for that matter. 
Up next, let's talk a little bit about something that reflects on what we've seen in the Europa League so far this season. A huge piece of news this week involved the outcome of the racist abuse suffered by the Rangers player Glenn Kamara in the Europa League meeting with Slavia Prague last month. Slavia's Andre Cadella has received a 10-match ban for racially abusing Kamara. The Rangers midfielder has been given a three-match ban for an assault in the tunnel afterwards. Gregor, um, Cadella covered his mouth when he went over and, and racially abused Kamara, but that meant that this was tough to prove in many ways. Um, lots would call it, you know, one person's word against another. Um, do you think the, the ban is too heavy, too light, fair? It's a very difficult uh, one to, to call in that way, I think. You know, it seems that the reaction of, of his uh, Kamara's teammate, uh, Bongani Zungu, his reaction at, on the, in the, both the footage and repeating the same word. That seems to be the biggest piece of evidence, I think, that's kind of corroborating what Kamara has alleged. The full reasoning, which I think will be released in, in a couple of weeks, is going is to be fascinating. And so is Slavia Prague's response to it all. At first, it was so defensive and almost, in fact, uh, you know, accusing of, of Kamara. Um, you know, to, to make these slights against their player and, and whatnot. Um, and now it seems to be they're kind of, they're accepting it without accepting what it's, what it means. They're accepting that he's, he's, he's covered his mouth. He's made, he's, he's done something that made the player feel uncomfortable. Um, you know, we'll learn from this, but they've never used the word racist, racist or racism. They've never, you know, there's been no fronting up to it at all. And if they were to appeal, it would be interesting how, Again, it's going to come down to what the full reason and evidence is in a couple of weeks. So it's very, it's very difficult. If you, you know, there was a lot of talk. There was a lot of really interesting uh, writing done in the wake of this incident about if a player makes, you know, accuses someone of racism, why can't we just believe them? And you know, it's really a huge part of you thinks, you know, yeah. That's that's true. Why why would Kamara make something like this? And you saw how upset he was. Uh, but it, it, life is not that straightforward. It's very difficult to, without evidence, to to kind of to to ban someone for for a lot. He's going to miss the Euros. This player now. And look, I, I'm absolutely with Kamara. I don't have any reason to believe that anything other than this has been. He he has said what he said to him, and this this was an abhorrent racist racist slur. And if that's the case, then the ban should be lengthier. It shouldn't be ten games, and there shouldn't be, you know, a seven-game difference between Kamara's reaction, response to it, and and the incident itself. So, look, it's a very difficult one, and I, and I think until the full reasoning uh, is released, and I think it's going to be in a couple of weeks' time, it's it's hard to to know if there's any further evidence. But as I say, the difference in this is always their word against mine. But the difference in this is that the, the footage from the incident is backed up by Zunga's reaction and him, him repeating the same word that was used. Tom, this was the minimum 10 games that Cadella could have got. Um, but there were no repercussions for the club, Slavia Prague, which is the thing that sort of raised my eyebrows the most, really. Um, nothing in terms of education for the players or staff. Um for the individual himself, Andre Cadella, there was no financial repercussion for the club. They're still in the Europa League as well. Um, so do, do you think that is right, that it all rests on, on Cadella? No, no, uh, not at all. I think, um, as you said, Hugh, it's, it's, it is a 10-game um, ban minimum. Um, and of course, also, we've got to remember that was... I think it was 2013 that Infantino brought that in, that minimum ban. And of course, the, I think the year before that was the case of of, um, of John Terry and Luis Suarez, and who I think got four game bans. So we've we've seen progress, but when, when you when you think how far we've come in the past few years, uh, I think ten games doesn't still doesn't quite seem. Um, enough really for a organization that was saying it had zero um tolerance in in the mid sort of noughties um but i i I still think what you said hugh education is is the key thing because when you have these 
when you have these moments in football matches, I don't think players, or and even away from football matches, I don't think players um, think of the repercussions. I don't think they think if I say this, I'm going to get a 10 game ban. So I won't say it. I think it is the, it is in the, the, it is the, the, the racist underbelly um, that will help being eradicated by education for um, more than just, more than just a club. Um, But yeah, I think there has to be wider repercussions because it wasn't just uh, Cadella who, um, who acted poorly in those moments that that statement was quite jaw-dropping really reading it when it came out the next day yeah the behavior of Slavia Prague um not really brought into it either and the fact that they continue in the Europa League is not one they could go and and win the trophy concede conceivably do you know what I mean and I think that would be a sad thing for those watching on to see a club that has had this happen on their way to a final eventually lift the trophy. Um, I think the bigger punishment would have been to kick them out of the Europa League. Um, I don't know whether that is possible, but it doesn't seem to me to be too much of a stretch. It's the same as even a massive financial penalty, you know, no financial penalty whatsoever for the club is a strange one. You know, we see, players getting into a bit of a Barney and clubs being fined for not controlling them. And Slavia Prague haven't got a fine for not controlling their player here who's done something that's ended up getting him a 10-game ban. What do you think about them continuing the competition, Jonathan? Yeah, I, I, I was listening to that here. It's interesting because I, I, I spoke to Connor Goldson um, the week of the incident. I interviewed him and then and then went back to him and, 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 and discussed the incident with him. And he was captain for Rangers on the night. And he's very close to Glenn Kamara. And and the thing that upset him and I think Kamara and the Rangers players the most, more than the individual reprehensible behaviour of, of Kudela, was actually Slavia's reaction and treatment um, of the incident. And UEFA themselves, that they and, and, and Connor said to me that that you know part of the the helplessness and anger that, that the Rangers players felt on the night and on the pitch in the aftermath was that feeling of helplessness that, that the authorities aren't going to back us here and this guy is going to be protected by his, by his team. And, and, and he said, you know, as, as players were asked to get behind the UEFA slogans, were asked to wear the T-shirts, were asked to take the knee, and yet there's a feeling that at the end of at, at the heart of it, the, the the machinery of football doesn't really support us either the clubs or the or or, or the or the, the the authorities and this is the, the thing that troubles me most it's you know 10 games we can debate whether it should be 10 12 14 6 whatever justice has to be seen to be done and i don't think it's been seen to be done here because uefa's initial reaction was to go for a, a lesser ban this has been increased because of, of the effectiveness of which Rangers have made their case. But UEFA's initial reaction was a much lesser ban. We then put it in the context of the the different treatments they hand out for small commercial offences, like the wrong advertising hoardings. Uh, and then you add in the, the three-game ban for Kamara, which almost sort of seems to put a, a weird equivalence towards um, you know, his behaviour, um, his understandable, uh, you know, I'm not saying any players should, have, should, should, you know, be phys- physically confront people. But I think an, a level of understanding had to be given to Kamara in the, in the aftermath of this incident. It wasn't given by the authorities. So they've almost sort of, you know, yeah, put a, some kind of equivalence between the two things. And, and, and that's the thing that, that this incident will just leave players feeling all the more troubled by what the authorities are, are really willing to do. What Slavia did was initially was were kind of bristle at the accusation of racism. And they basically actually, they kind of levelled a counter accusation of xenophobia and saying, you know, this is not what we are. You're you're, you're brandishing us as racists here. But they've now changed their tone. They're saying we're willing to, you know, we're willing to cooperate with anti-racist organisations and and stuff. And, you know, that's in the space of a month. And look, you, you could you could see the first thing they're going to do is ask the player what happened, and maybe he said, "Look, I didn't do it," and then they feel compelled to try and 
support their player. That's, you know, that's what football clubs do. That's what managers tend to do as well. So it's not easy. None of this is easy. But the fact that in the space of a month, their, their tone has changed so markedly. And as we're saying, again, we're seeing the, diff- the kind of one player has been lost for 10 games and Rangers are losing a player for three games. So really, you've got, as I say, for what's happened in this, in that, in this period, there's a difference of seven games ban. The, the club otherwise has not really been punished today to anyway. I think that's, that's wrong. The club should be punished in some way as well because their reaction to this, it was, it's, not, it's not just we didn't do this. It's, you, it was a counter accusations that were levelled at Kamara and Rangers and almost saying that they were kind of covering things up or being xenophobic themselves. So that, you know, I personally think the club should be punished as well in some way. But none of this is easy. I know, none of it is easy. I think it was a lesson to the players though in a way to take things into their own hands, not by what Glenn Kamara did in the tunnel afterwards. But if they do have those feelings um, that Connor Goldson mentioned of the authorities not taking things as seriously as they should or not having the appetite to deal with them, then I I think they will now have that level of understanding that if there is even a small moment of incident where they feel like that, they'll walk straight off the pitch. I think we saw it recently with Diacarbi, the Valencia player who walked straight off and his teammates went with him. You know, protocol will probably change now if more players just do it at the first incident. There's not going to be any of this second and third time. And I think um, players around the world would have watched that incident and now seeing that result will say, well, look, the, 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 the most effective thing we can do is take away our, our services, take away the entertainment, take away the football and walk straight off the pitch. But it is, it's just a sad thing that Glenn Kamara and the Rangers players have had to go through and very sad for football fans of all backgrounds really to see how seriously the authorities take it when it comes to punishing a club. And, and for me, I agree with you, Tom. You know, I just said there's no there's no level of education there now. I don't know if there's any wider issue in the Czech Republic. Other clubs in Europe, we know there are wider problems in society around racism. So if this was a club in one of those countries, would they not be forcing the club to do something more around education? You know, not just for the players that are in the first team, but the youth team, the wider setup of the club, your staff, you know, for UEFA not to say this possibly could be a sign of something bigger and you need to take it far more seriously and instead say almost the message was this was one bad apple, I think was is totally the wrong thing really. And, um, and hopefully it's a learning process for everyone involved at UEFA as well. There was a special moment this week in women's football for Northern Ireland who reached their first major tournament. Um, many of their players aren't professionals. They beat Ukraine 4-1 on aggregate over the two legs. Um, but there was in the match, aside from Northern Ireland's goals, a hysterical moment, really a strange, strange, strange moment. One of, if you haven't seen this, by the way, one of the craziest red cards you will ever see. Natalia Pantsulaya was sent off. Player running through on goal. I say running through on goal. The defender was deeper, closer to the goal. It was running through to the goalkeeper. No eyes for the ball whatsoever. She runs sideways across the pitch to body check the striker running through when it was probably easier for her to just go and collect the ball. It was one of the oddest, strangest, craziest, if you like, red cards we have ever seen. It got us thinking about some of the the wildest red cards and sending offs there ever have been. So we, we thought we'd rack our brains a little bit. Um... Gregor, I'm going to start with you on this one. Um, firstly, have you ever seen a red card quite as bad as that? And, uh, and secondly, any other reminiscent of it? I don't think, no, I've never seen. I had to watch that several times to think, has she like pulled her hamstring? Is she doubting she's going to get to the ball here? Like, she's just kind of gone sideways to take out the opponent instead. That was bizarre. No, I've never seen that. Uh, anything like that. Although I think I probably mentioned it before. I was once, I did once receive a second yellow card for, taking a, a throw in too slowly so I was sent off essentially for, <laughs> for a, slow, a slow throw in um, the one that came to my mind was uh, Yusuf Malumbu in, in 2013 do you remember he played against West Ham and it was like I think they were losing 3-1 uh, West Brom midfielder and Gary O'Neill kind of tried to kind of pull him back a little bit at the end and he just picked the ball up and volleyed, him, volleyed it at him <laughs> Do you remember? <laughs> it was so bizarre. It was like, as I say, it was like an injury time. They were losing 3-1. Gary O'Neill must have done something to wind him up in the game, but he just picked up the ball and it's a good shot as well. Um, so that was one. Another one that 
came to my mind. These are these are slightly bizarre ones. Was um, there was one a Dorchester Town player manager Ashley Vickers. There was a streaker in the Conference South once, and he was like a guy wearing a a Borat kind of mankini. I mankini, think you call mm. yeah. And he was doing very well to evade the the attentions of all the stewards for a long time. So Ashley Vickers kind of ran. He was a player. He ran up, took tackled them to the ground. Stewards took him off. The referee came up and sent him off. <laughs> the ref gave him a red card for tackling a streaker. So I think they were probably the, the weirdest red cards I could think of. You cannot touch someone who's entered the field of play. Those are in the rules. Dumbfounded Ashley Vickers was, by the way, by his red card afterwards. Um, Tom, can you remember any like that? Uh, well, uh, slightly similar to that with Gregor's is, uh, and slightly more recently is, um, is Eden Hazard's with his, with his ball boy. Um, at Swansea City a few years ago, slightly similar in that way, but the, but the, probably the most sort of cynical to me would be um, would be Cantona's when he was playing in France and he did that that diving lunge in on Michel Desacarian and my God, the way you know when you've got um, when you were a kid and you used to set up those the the, the slide with the um, with soak down it in the hot water and you'd go running and just <laughs> launch yourself at it. The way Cantona dives into, throws his legs at Zakarian is exactly like that. And I mean, you really, if you, you've got to watch it again. Jonathan? Benjamin Massing, you've got to have a look on YouTube if, you, if you're young and you haven't, you haven't seen it. But, you know, Argentina, World Cup holders, opening game, Claudio Canidia gets the ball from almost his own penalty area and just starts running on a break. And what's great about it is that first the Cameroon kind of attacker tries to make a tackle, misses him. Then one of the midfielders has a go, misses him. And then the centre-back, almost like to sort of show, no, no, this is how it's done, boys. He comes across and he, just like a giant lawnmower, he just, just wipes out <laughs> Canadia. Third go. And his boot comes off in the middle of making the tackle. He, he sort of hits him so hard that his boot comes off. So while the referee's getting the card out, he's sort of putting on his boot and, and then just sort of walks off without really waiting to confirm that it's a red. <laughs> one of the best things about it is the referee goes to check on Canija and while his back's turned, one of the Argentina yeah. players confronts him and he tries to kick him with the foot that the boot's not on. It's a brilliant brilliant moment. I couldn't think of many. I, I thought of sort of the cynical, the most cynical red cards. Um, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer against Newcastle. Rob Lee bursting through at the end of the game just takes him out. Um, the, the World Cup one, um, Luis Suarez, Uruguay, a handball on the line, basically saved it, you know. Stephen Taylor, funniest, craziest, you know, always remember that one, pretending like he'd been shot, uh, handballing it on the line. Brilliant, brilliant moment. If you haven't, if you're that young and you're listening to this podcast, and you haven't seen it, definitely look up Stephen Taylor's red card as well. That's a, a classic moment in Premier League history. And suddenly the red card comes out and he's fine, having been on the floor looking mortally <laughs> wounded as well. I'd love it. What was the one as well, quite recently, the Atletico Real Madrid one, when the guy was clean through and he just chased back and booted him in the calf? It was in a cup, was it not in a cup final or a cup semi final? Oh, uh, do you know what? Yeah, I do remember this. I do remember this. Um, in the final, who was it? Valverde. Oh, God, I'm just watching it. It's so bad. It's the same as Solskjaer, very similar to Solskjaer's. He just boots him. And I think in classic Real Madrid against that Atletico Madrid style, five minutes later, Real Madrid won it on penalties as well. So uh, that was it, it, yeah, always, that was it. it always works out that way. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, gentlemen, pleasure being with you for the past hour or so. Tom Roddy, Jonathan Northcroft and Gregor Robertson, thank you so much. And thank you for listening as well. Remember, for more of our award-winning journalism, Get yourself a digital subscription to The Times and The Sunday Times. You'll get more of our award-winning journalism on all of your devices. If you sign up today, you'll get one month free. Go online, search thetimes.co.uk forward slash the game to get started. We've got the FA Cup semi-finals coming up this weekend. We'll discuss that and more on Monday. We'll see you then. VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna. 
from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 